Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, hosted by Josh Abatoy and Tymon Klein. Our mission is to promote a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day, rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Welcome back to the AMREF Podcast. You've got Josh Abatoy here. You've got Timon Klein, as usual. And we have a guest today, uh, Zachary Garris. Zachary Garris is the pastor of Bryce Avenue Presbyterian Church. That's in the PCA. He's uh, down in White Rock, New Mexico. He's the author of Masculine Christianity, um, a fantastic book, and has some forthcoming work uh, coming for us. Uh, Zach... Zach works on the on matters of uh, gender and the faith, and uh, we love his stuff. The The reason that we're talking to him today is actually to go back and, and go through an article that he wrote for American Reformer uh, about a month ago, back in October. Uh, it's a review of Nancy uh, Percy's new book, uh, Toxic War on Masculinity. Uh, it's a provocative review. Um, no punches barred, and uh, we've had, of course, Nancy's been a guest on this pod, but uh, really looking forward to the conversation today. Zach, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wonderful. So, Zach, on this, um, this I thought it was an excellent review. As Josh said, we, um, you know, we're friendly with Nancy. Talked to her about her book. We also ran, uh, you know, Scott Yenner had a sort of take on her book, um, as well as, as well as George Gilder's material. So this is kind of a theme that her books opened up for us, um, and has been, you know, over the past several months, been engaged by several authors in a very organic fashion. But it's. Um, it, it's clearly opened up a, a conversation as, as well as uh, Gilder's republication, as I said. But um, your review, I mean, you, I think at the beginning you say you are focused on the first part of the book, um, the beginning of the book, even though maybe, maybe some things in the latter half are better or some a bit cleaned up. Um, but you think it begins on a sort of you know, poor foundation and you, you label this practical egalitarianism. Um, so talk to us a bit about, uh, you know, your reading of Piercy's book, what um, what practical egalitarianism means for her and uh, functionally and theoretically and where she's kind of drawing that from. Yeah, it's I mean, it's interesting. Piercy, you know, in the uh, part two or three, part two and three of the book, she she it's kind of getting into the same topic she did with Total Truth, um, which she wrote like 20 years ago, almost. And, and she's building on, you know, the idea that the Industrial Revolution drove men out of the home and that this really changed things. Um, I, I think there's some truth there. I think maybe she overstates uh, her case in the fact that, you know, it seems that there were still men that left the home for jobs throughout history. It's not just, you know, a, a post-industrial revolution um, concepts. So, but, but, you know, she still has a lot of good points, a lot of good content. Um, you know, I, I even started off this review by saying that I, I enjoyed her book, Total Truth. Uh, I've also read Love Thy Body. So I've read a couple of her books and I think they're good. Um, and like I said, I, I think a lot in this book, uh, Toxic War and Masculinity is good, but this first part is, uh, I just think, you know, too, too much of a problem. And, um, Mostly because it's built, it's built on um, basically a redefinition of male headship. I mean, that's that's really what I talk about in the article. Is that uh, she? I, I think Piercy would affirm or would call herself a complementarian. I'm pretty sure. Um, of course, I've been critical of that term in the past because it's it's somewhat novel, and then it's it's. It's so broad today yeah, in its use that <laughs> it's almost meaningless, right? And so, um, you know, I, I assume Piercy calls herself a complementarian, which would mean she affirms male headship in the home and then does not think women can be pastors. Of course, I, I think that's very minimalistic, but even then people end up redefining male headship. And, and that's what she does here is she's, um, you know, she's, she's using the, this term and concept, right? So she's, 
she's using male headship throughout this uh, first section of the book. But it, it basically, and we can get into this more, but I, I basically argue in here and I try to give examples that she, the way she defines it and explains things is, you know, we, she even uses the word progressive marriage practices. And so it's, it, it, it's getting at this, you know, really watered down view of male headship, um, even you know, I mean, if we can get into the other term, she doesn't use this that I recall, but you know, the whole common phrase, uh, servant leadership, right? That that's, <laughs> that's how male headship is, is portrayed nowadays. That's all it's supposed to be is just servanthood. And it just really kind of misses. Um, yeah, I think, know, I think, I uh, think you say, uh, um, you know, it's either service or uh, however we, we can just use that term now, uh, you know, it's service without an, any authority. Right. And there's this term she uses that's like um, maybe mutual submission, which which seems like an oxymoron Mm -hmm. to me in this context. Right. Um, Mutual subjection, mutual submission uh, means that there's there's really no no dynamic of subjection and submission at all. If both are um, on totally equal footing. Um, And and then I, I imagine I mean, maybe you can tell us this, but this is my general sense of most complementarians today that really embrace that and kind of think of it the way that Piercy does, is their their um, limitation of, of the pastorate, of, of preaching and whatever else to those duties to men is a purely positivist view. And, and, and I mean that they only are able to do that because they do, they do respect scripture and it's, it's explicit. So, but that's kind of it. That's the sum total of their their view. If there wasn't an explicit text, they would be they would not be able to arrive at the same conclusion. And so, it's only because it's there, and there's nothing inherent in you know men or women that would also necessitate the same uh, demarcation of roles and, and authority if we didn't have that sort of prescription there in the text. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's um, correct. Is I mean, this is very, very common. Pierce, look, Piercy's not obviously not the only person doing this. Um, you know, it, it, that would fall under complementarianism. I think she's a good example of an unfortunate uh, practice, which is really just pushing the boundaries as far as they can go in an egalitarian direction, um, while still trying to give some you know, at least some, um, affirmation of the, the scriptural language. But, um, you know, as, as, as I, I think I said in here, you know, affirming scriptural language is insufficient, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because, uh, I mean, you know, we know heretics can affirm the biblical language and then redefine things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always been the case throughout history. And, you know, in the, in the 20th century, this was a huge problem with liberal theology, where they're affirming, um, you know, again, the, the language of scripture or even language outside of scripture, but redefining things and, um, and de- denying, you know, cardinal doctrines and the like. Um, but yeah, so, so like in this case of, okay, we, we know Paul prohibits, uh, you know, first Timothy two is, is I think pretty clear. Uh, I know it's super controversial, but so she's going to have to affirm that, that, that a man can't teach or exercise authority over a, a, a woman or a woman can't exercise teach or exercise authority over a man. But I mean, complementarians will still often argue the narrowest application of this, which is often just that a woman can't preach. And even mm-hmm. then it's like a woman can't preach in a Sunday morning service. Mm-hmm. If it's outside of that, even in something like a chapel, like a college, this is a problem like in the, in the PCA mm-hmm. and there's a college chapel. Um, well, then the women can preach, even though there's men there. I mean, we've just gone so narrow today in our uh, application of scriptural teaching and principles. And yeah, I think you kind of hinted at it there with the, uh, I forgot the word you used, but very, oh, uh, positive. Like, it's like, just, well, I have to affirm this this meaning uh, or this sentence, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, not, I'm not going to try to ap- apply biblical principles more broadly or, or even systematize the, the teaching of scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she ends up 
redefining things. And, um, yeah. and yeah, even that, mu- that mutual submission thing, I, I found that in a footnote she, yeah. that, 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 or I should say an end note. So I had to dig for that. That's not even, um, she didn't even have that in the main text. So yeah. I, you know, I don't know if she's, she didn't give us her full theology of everything here. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. And it seems like the, um, you know, not, not only can you play around with, uh, you know, this is a pitfall of being a, an actual, in the real sense, biblicist, not in the way it's pejoratively thrown around, uh, but being a total, you know, biblicist in this, which, which usually doesn't allow people to think about or investigate the, the nature of the things being dealt with, right? Like, you know, the uh, Bible doesn't, d- d- speaks of mountains and assumes you know what the nature of mountains are for the analogies and illustrations to make sense. Right, doesn't fee- spoon feed you everything, but we uh, we kind of forget about that when it comes to you know these questions that have to do with authority and uh, you know domestic relations, ecclesial relations, so on and so forth. Of uh, some of, some of this should be assumed um, or is assumed by the text that you understand. Uh, of course, basic differences, but also um, you know constitutional differences and things. I mean, I mean constitutions of, of people and uh, natural relations that even if you didn't have the scriptural text, uh, you know, were, were presumed in the in the time as well and operate, uh, operative there. So I just think it's you know it's not a fully or view of of uh, the text because it's not thinking deeply about it. Um, and then of course uh, you you have even more leeway then to play around with to play word games, which I think in your piece you do a good job of. Uh, drawing out by just, you know, doing some exegesis in a very standard way. I don't think there's anything uh, that should surprise anybody. But, you know, when when Piercy and others uh, want to reduce, um, I forget which text it, it was that you're using, maybe, maybe Ephesians 6, I can't remember, um, but, you know, reduce the sort of authority to just simply an idea of like responsibility, you know, which of course is there. We, no one would deny that the the uh, father and, and husband has a responsibility, but he also has authority, and it's kind of neutered um, when you just uh, you know detach the two, uh, kind of include the duty without uh, you know the authority. So, um, I mean, I, th- I think it's a a problem um, across the board, not just with Piercy, as you said, but you see people do this a lot. They either have a very minimal. Um, view in their complementarianism, quote unquote, of, of these things. It's like there's a few there's a few settings where, yeah, only only guys can do things. So since it's limited to settings or situations and not an expression of their general authority, then we can, you know, continue to chip away at that and, and make strange distinctions in a sort of scholastic way of, you know, we're at chapel now, it's Sunday night now, it's it's Sunday school now. So these things don't apply. Yeah. So I, I think there's definitely like a, a broader theology lacking there. And, you know, um, that, yeah, it is from Ephesians six that I mentioned the, um, at least that's the paragraph, um, uh, where, oh, this is interesting. So, um, well, she, she does a couple, uh, odd things in here. I mean, that really just strike me as egalitarian and that's why I you know, made some of the claims I did. So for, for one is she, she quotes, um, Philip Payne, who's an egalitarian scholar, uh, new Testament scholar on first Corinthians seven. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, uh, this is page 64, the striking egalitarian dynamics of marriage or that in reference to that. Um, of course there's, there's some, um, you know, first Corinthians seven, I think, I mean, that's dealing with, uh, marital relations, and so it's kind of it's it's not uh, it's not undermining male headship, um, you know, as a whole. Although some egalitarians, of course, try to push that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even here, she regarding Ephesians six, with this is this is kind of odd with like parental authority. She says that uh, that father and mother have quote equal authority, mm-hmm. and so she, and she references Ephesians um, six one and two, but then she doesn't. Um, reference uh, Ephesians 6, 4, which is directed towards fathers, you know, don't be harsh with your children. Mm. And um, the Greek word there, I mean, it could be translated parents, but there's, I think there's a pretty good argument. It should be parent uh, fathers and most, um, most modern translations translated as fathers. Mm. So, um, you know, and I I think regardless of that text, I mean, isn't it, uh, how can we say, if, if the man is the head of the household, 
how can he not at least have some special responsibility? I mean, even if we just want to go with the responsibility aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, he, he's, he, he has to have some particular responsibilities as the head of the household in relation to his children. And yet she's wanting to say father and mother have equal authority. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what if there's a disagreement over where to send the children to school? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Obviously, husband and wife should talk these things out. But at the end of the day, the 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 father is the leader of the family, mm-hmm. and it is so. So I mean, this is maybe I think it's a very practical difference in what she's advocating. All right, you have equal authority. There's a disagreement. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, I know I know what Scripture says is well. You you know the wife needs to submit to her husband and and. Um, it's, it's going to be that, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know that's simple, but that's, that's, I think the, the teaching of scripture mm-hmm. and I'm not sure she can say that with her based on everything she's, she's written. What, what does she do, uh, Zachary with, um, you know, analogies, but the analogy between, um, Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. I mean, do, can you, can anyone like that seriously assert that the, there's an equality between Christ as the head of the church and the church itself? You know, she, from what I recall, she didn't exegete uh, that passage mm-hmm. closely. Um, she referenced it some. I, I mean, look, her her book's not filled with a lot of um, a lot of exegesis. It's not, you know, that's not her goal. Mm-hmm. But the, the the problem, of course, there is, you know, she's she is dealing a lot with scripture text, and so um, I mean, if you're gonna, she could have just left all this stuff out and and had her other, you know, kind of points to the book. But since she went there, I mean, I think we need to, you know, interact with and hold her uh, to a high standard. So she does, she does, uh, I, I did find a section here in my article on Ephesians 5. Um, but I'm not sure she, I, I just don't think she got into that mm-hmm. too much about, you're, you're right, the, the, I mean, that's the, that's the analogy there in Ephesians 5 is as the church, you know, submits to Christ, uh, wives submit to husbands. Um, I've just seen she yeah. she argues. Go no, ahead. I've just, I was just wondering because I've seen people, you know, then to deal with that analogy, it's something you already brought up. They really lean into this idea of you know servant leadership from Christ. Like he doesn't actually you know rule the church. They're going to pull things from his earthly ministry about service, so on and so forth, and kind of extrapolate that and shove it into Ephesians. Um, and say, you know, that's, that's the real model. That's what it's talking about. It's not real, you know, kind of, you know, I don't think they would outright deny Christ's authority, but they want to smooth it out. Right. So I was wondering if that was kind of presence. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily sound like it was, but I think since we're talking about a bigger issue, uh, that's what a lot of people do. And, you know, I guess, uh, you know, this, this is like the, um, the, the Stephen Wolf conundrum. I mean, if you don't cite scripture, evangelicals are going to jump down your throat. If you do, you better make sure your exegesis is perfect. <laughs> so, I don't know what you're supposed to do about that. But, you know, it's fair game. If that's it's right. written, it's fair game. And you can critique it from whatever angle you want. Um, and I, th- I think that's right. I mean, I think the scripture is being, seems to me being dealt with somewhat flippantly, but it's not, you know, unique to her. But anyway. I, I want to park on something, Zach, that you said you know, toward the front end of this discussion, the, 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 and maybe I want to I want to highlight maybe a little bit more of the problem with the industrial revolution and its consequences for gender relations. Um, you know, I, I think that well, I, I want to hear you talk about this, but it seems to me that um, yes, you know, men men were always um, you know out and about from the household even pre-industrial revolution, but there was a pretty significant. Uh, change in degree in the industrial revolution and sort of at, correspondingly at the same time, the, um, you know, mass public education. Um, and, and one of the things that I think happens in that time is the, the man is, um, he's kind of seeding, uh, like, like delegating, uh, a, you know, sort of rule and authority in the home when he's not there and he's not there, uh, to such a great extent that, you know, in some ways, like the man loses the, the muscle to be the defective, like sort of de facto leader of the family. 
Um, and, you know, even today, I think like in, in lots of, um, you know, conservative households who, you know, believe all the right things about gender on paper, you know, dad is at, at work at a desk job for 10 or 12 hours a day, you know, very limited interface with his own children. When he comes, when he's at home, he's kind of in, um, he's in the wife's domain. He's in a space where he's not actually, he's almost kind of a visitor because his time there is so limited relative to hers. Um, I guess maybe I'm changing gears a little bit, but, but like talk me, you know, like talk me through how do you, you know, practically speaking, how do you start to um, like try to build habits and a way of life that actually is conducive to uh, natural gender roles given the social conditions that we're under? Um, yeah, that's, a, I mean, this is a good topic. I, I think, and this is where like, if we get beyond part one of, Piercy's book, you know, she does have good things to say. And I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it, the industrial revolution has introduced problems. Um, I mean, it's introduced a lot of good things. So let's, you know, be, be fair, but, uh, I, I think the idea or the practice of a man going off you know, basically barely being home with his wife and kids. That's, that's not good, right? That's, that's, that's far from the, that's mm -hmm. far from the ideal. And so I think today, you know, I, we have had improvements in, in a lot of these things where, you know, there started to be kind of a limit on work hours and eventually most people, I mean, there's, there's obviously exceptions, but most people work like 40 hours. Um, a lot of jobs, that's kind of, that's kind of the standard practice. You get weekends off. It's much more reasonable than, older, um, hours in the factories and the like. And, um, and now we've got even, you know, I think the additional, uh, change where, where people can work from home some, um, sometimes, a, a, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's just a day or a couple days per week, or, um, um, sometimes it's their whole job. And I think, I think that's good. I mean, I think it's good to have separate workspaces, like an office that's, that's also good, but it's also good for the father and husband to be, to be home more. And, um, you know, partly just for his presence, but, but, um, also, I mean, he should be involved in his, in the lives of his, his children. And it's, I mean, you know, this is even kind of, I'm, I'm an advocate of homeschooling, homeschooling groups and the like, I think, what, you know, one concern there is if, if it's just dominated by women and there's no male presence at all, fatherly mm -hmm. presence. I mean, this is something we should make sure we try to, uh, you know, either have men teaching some courses, also just having fathers involved to some extent in the education. Um, and so these are, these are things, um, yeah, I mean, when it comes back to scripture, I mean, there is, there is the uh, language of, First, it's First Timothy five fourteen, where Paul says, "I um, I would have younger widows, you know, marry. He wants them to remarry and bear children and man. He says manage the home, and um, that basically means to keep house. It's not it's not saying the wife is the head of the home. Um, that's you know we have a different word for for manager there in um, for for elders, which is First Timothy three four and five speaks of the husband, um, you know, he needs to manage his home well. So those are two different words. And I think, you know, it's important to um, make that distinction is the husband manages the home as the head and the wife manages the, manages the home in the sense of like a homemaker and keeping house. And, and, um, and though, you know, that's good, but the father still has authority there. And, you know, he's in a sense, he's delegating things to the wife. It's like, OK, you know, you, you make these decisions and and um, care for the children and the like. And uh, but that doesn't mean the father has no, you know, no involvement there and should just be out and, and, and nothing to do with kids and decision making there. And so um, anyway, all of that is to say, I, I think there's some. You know, that while the Industrial Revolution was a mixed bag, um, some of the bad things that came in are are being alleviated to some extent uh, for a variety of reasons, some technological. So, yeah, it seems it seems to me the um, just picking up on that same line of thought that the uh, 
not saying Piercy necessarily does that because we've already established as effects, but it's sort of like the, the horseshoe theory of technology. Um, and everyone assumes um, that because it's disruptive, it's all, it's all bad, but actually it does alleviate some, it, it may enable you to, um, you know, recover uh, certain good things that weren't previously available because of uh, commutes, work, whatever we want to say. And then at the same time, the state of affairs is not that different from several hundred years prior where, you know, people, you could be like a, a, a merchant seaman or something and be gone for years at a time. Um, so these decisions have always faced, you know, men and, and uh, households um, and men have a, you, some make good decisions, some make bad ones uh, in terms of the, the health of their family. So it, to, to me, on balance, I guess I'm somewhat uh, white pilled about the whole thing. Um, it doesn't seem to me to. But, I, I mean, but it does have effects, obviously. Let me just let me just jump in there. I mean, yeah, we can think of lots of jobs historically that would have required the husband to be away for quite some time. And so. I, I, you know, you men, mentioned like, um, you know, fishermen or, or what about soldiers? Um, I mean, there's e- even if you were working at home on the farm, you might be out and about and gone for long hours. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think Piercy's whole thesis about the Industrial Revolution, it just has to be tempered. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it, it, you know, we, it's, it's good to think about and consider, but yeah, we shouldn't overstate overstate things. In a sense, husbands have always been out trying to provide for their families. That's, that's always been the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in the, in the general sense, I mean, as you said, the men, you know, the husband should have uh, concern for the domestic life, but they are the, the primary, um, if not singular, you know, external or outward facing um, as, aspect of the family uh, dealing with, we could say like external policy, whereas uh, you know, other domestic duties may be delegated to uh, the wife and under her charge, but he, you know, still has purview and an interest there. So there has to be be some kind of uh, balance of, of considerations. The other way that the the other way that the father can be more involved in the children's life is actually to take you know when the children are old enough take take them you know mm-hmm. take them out as mm-hmm. well, right? Like so, um, you know, uh, obviously in. Well, I mean, really, before a lot of child welfare laws were passed, um, following the Industrial Revolution, it wasn't com- It was quite common for children to work alongside their dads, um, you know, parents, and um, you know, I think that that's one of the. Um, I think it's sort of a sneaky cause of like a lot of um, intergenerational strife and maybe some of the masculinity crisis is the fact that a lot of boys grow up never really seeing their dad at work. They see their dad on nights and weekends when their dad is fried from having worked. And, you know, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, there's ways to do it, but I mean, even just personally, I think about this a lot, right? Like how can I, how can I invite my boys into my work a little bit just to give them a sense of what it looks like to work hard, to perform at a high level, to take pride in your work and that sort we of should thing. Have had him on yeah, the that's, a, that's an excellent point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's just a, that's a great point. Um, it, but you know, I'm I'm just thinking out loud here is uh, even beyond that. You think of uh, you know in the home, and, and even mothers oftentimes today don't involve children in their work. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, maybe part of that's mm-hmm. technological advancement. There's there's less work that the wife has to do. Um, we have we have dishwashers and laundry machines and all these kind of things that are great and and they free up time for her to either rest more or also do things like homeschooling um you know devote more time to some of these other tasks or or other hobbies or whatever side businesses whatever it is um and uh but but I'm just thinking like from females in particular like young girls it, it's I, you know mothers used to teach their daughters to cook mm-hmm. You know, a very important skill, and I think especially for wives. And um, that's just not always happening today. And so it's yeah, it's not it's not even just the boys; the girls aren't even getting proper uh, kind of engagement in in their parents uh, or the mom's uh, work. And so I, I think that's just important overall: is yeah, to involve children 
you know, I mean, I think we should obviously give them chores and have them do things around the house, but, but we can involve them in, in, in our work to some extent, yeah. like you said. When I've two like anecdotes here, I remember reading something about Charles, I think it's Charles Hodge that his study, he would always keep, uh, had two, two doors, right? Like two exit doors. And he installed the doorknobs low so that his kids could open them. And he would usually leave them open that way they could come in and, you know, he, he's a, just a total scholar. So he's like an original work from home guy, um, but wanted them to be a part of, you know, what he was doing and see, see him work. Um, and then the, you know, on the, on the sort of domestic side with, with women, I mean, I, I grew up as a missionary kid in West Africa. And I mean, those, those people, man, the, the baby is like a day old and it's strapped on the mom's back while she's grinding millet you know, and cooking and stuff. So you're, you're involved even before you're, you're aware of it. And that just continues, you know, throughout, throughout their lives. So we don't have to be that extreme, but uh, we, we can, uh, I think these are good points. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up too, uh, from while we're still in the article is, um, there, there's this sense, uh, as you draw it out from Piercy, where the, um, the relate, I guess we could say the relationship in Genesis originally established between Adam and Eve pre-fall um, is, is different from the one post-fall or maybe has been somewhat altered um, such that maybe this sort of rule and headship is a result of the fall. Am I representing that right? Um, yeah. So the, the whole um, – basically whether there was headship in right. – at creation or whether it was, it was brand new at the fall. Right. Essentially. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's fat. I mean, a fascinating claim to me. Um, I'm not sure I've actually heard someone make that before. What? Oh, that it's new. Yeah. Like the, in the, the, fall? the, you know, the, the real Nirvana, like the sort of, uh, perfect existence before sin is that it's, it's of course, everything would be egalitarian. There's no, you know, natural hierarchies. There's no, um, differences in, in authority and rule and roles or anything like that. It would just be they're both given the cultural mandate equally, um, which seems to neglect, uh, of course, in at least Reformed theology, we talk about the, you know, the offices of Adam, uh, which are then, you know, yeah. the offices of Christ uh, as the new Adam. So it uh, seems to neglect that aspect, which those are not given to Eve, as well as, you know, just very standard kind of Reformed exegesis about the fact that, um, you know, Adam's made from the dust, but Eve is made, you know, from his rib and what this means. And you'll, you'll have kind of these, uh, you know, Matthew Henry does this a lot, others just kind of waxing eloquent about what all that means, but would draw a lot of, uh, you know, significance from that fact, theological significance. And that seems to be neglected here. Yeah. And though, like uh, Henry and uh, he's not the first, I think, to point this yes. out, but, um, you know, saying like the, the rib, it's near the heart. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they'll draw, uh, you know, so there should be obviously love between husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And um, so there is, you know, I mean, this is just historically theologians would speak of there being inequality between husband and wife, but it's not, it's not related in everything. Mm -hmm. It's not an egalitarian equality where they flatten everything out. And look, I, I, the, I have seen some, uh, People in, in through history say, you know, kind of maybe take a egalitarian approach to um, Genesis one and two, and then affirm headship after. Mm -hmm. But but that's pretty rare. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I think most are like Calvin saying, well, no, headship has just kind of been it's it's harsher post fall. It, you know, obviously there's corruption uh, in our relations. Um, and so I think that's, that's what most said in the past. And, and when you really, it's the egalitarians today that I've seen, um, Richard Davidson in his book, flame of Yahweh, he, he's at least one example of he's arguing for this egalitarian ideal at creation. Mm -hmm. So then blaming the fall for male headship, Genesis three sixteen, And then, and, and so, so this is the whole, uh, trajectory hermeneutic mm -hmm. this is this is one of the more i guess uh compl complex egalitarian arguments yeah is that okay yeah we've got all this male headship stuff in the new testament but but we're moving beyond that in christ and and therefore you know just as we moved beyond slavery we're, we're moving beyond male headship 
in, in Christ, he's restoring the egalitarian ideal of Genesis 1 and 2 at creation. Mm. So that, that's, their, that's their argument. I mean, you see this, mm. uh, some different writers use it. I think, um, you know, there's several problems, one of which is that's not what the New Testament ever says. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't say we're going past, um, you know, male headship. You know, there's, there's, you just can't get that. That's certainly not an explicit teaching. Um, I think, um, you know, they're, they're, they're misinterpreting texts about unity in Christ, like mm-hmm. Galatians 3.29 or Colossians uh, 3.11. So, um, yeah. And, and then again, though, the other, ar- the other argument is, well, no, there was headship at creation. And so, you know, if we establish that, then that really blows that argument right. up. Yeah, it just it seems to me the um, because you know I know there's a section in there where you, you know she tries to use some of the the church fathers, but it seems like in a in a limited or feeble way. Um, but the, I would I would just assert that the tradition is pretty you know unified on this until yesterday, to where it's it's not much of an issue. And so then the you know the question is what's motivating such radical reassessment that requires an entire hermeneutical adjustment. Right, that it's a big change to get to some of these points, like the one we're talking about now, um, and that that should be suspect, I think, to people, even if they they're not going along with this everywhere, is some some um, ulterior motive that's requiring uh, hermeneutical changes uh, is is usually not good. Yeah, I think, and, and this is this is one of the huge benefits um, of you know uh, recovering historical theology and, and reading Calvin and, and some of the post reformation guys. I mean, people, a lot of people read Puritans. Um, and, um, you know, and you can contrast their views with the modern kind of egalitarian or soft complementarian takes on these things. And you're, you're not going to find that even, even 200 years ago. I mean, all of this stuff is, I don't know, last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe less, 50 years, um, where the egalitarians, I mean, the, part of the problem is the egalitarians just, they dominate the literature on these subjects mm-hmm. because they're just pumping out books and, and, and they're always obsessed with, with gender stuff anyway. And, you know, that's a lot of times how they make their, you know, academic career is, you know, pushing, I mean, cause Hey, if you want to do a PhD and come up with some, some new stuff, yeah, I mean, egalitarianism is the way to go because it's it is new it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so um so i i egalitarianism is new um and and but but on the other hand you know with the i think increased interest in in older theologians were we're able to you know Obviously, we're, we're arguing from scripture, but I do think the historical argument is a, is a powerful one, mm-hmm. and um, you know we should we should show deference to his, historical theology. And our, I mean, obviously, confessions. I mean, I'm a Presbyterian, so the Westminster standards. But um, yeah, I, I think that should be that should concern people when you're seeing these arguments. You're like, you know, this is actually pretty novel mm-hmm. um, to to say that. As Piercy does in here, she she says she says that submission does not mean to obey. Hmm. Um, let me find that here because <laughs> I think that's yeah. Um, this is on page sixty. She she argues the command for wives to submit to husbands in Ephesians five twenty two and twenty four does not mean the word obey. And her reasoning is that that Paul uses this word for obey for children and slaves in in Ephesians six one and five, and um, so so Paul's telling wives submit, children obey, so they can't mean the same thing mm-hmm. or similar things. And I th- well, that's not that's not necessarily the case. Um, obviously, there's going to be a different relationship between um, um, a husband and his wife and and uh, you know, parents and children. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, as I try to show in here, 
the, those terms actually are used interchangeably throughout scripture. And when you go pull out the Greek dictionaries, um, here, I've got it right here. Hupatasso um, for submit is, you know, sub, to be subject or subordinate. Mm-hmm. And then obey, hupakuo, uh, to obey or be subject to. So those are like, they're essentially synonyms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Piercy's saying they're they're not. They're, they're, they're you know, so... I mean, she's just claiming things. It's, it's she doesn't actually give evidence. Yeah. So, yeah, I did get a little bit of uh, you know seminary PTSD when I saw BDAG excited, but I got over it and, and moved on through the article. <laughs> <laughs> it was useful, at least. I wasn't just citing it for the heck of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, you know, it's it's. It's obviously obviously a reach, uh, you know, stretching to try to make these distinctions. I mean, people do this uh, oftentimes with various issues in scriptures, like the you know we get kind of hung up on word usage as if um, you know the the text isn't supposed to be readable. Also, which sometimes requires a diversity of words to explain similar uh, <laughs> similar ideas. So it it, it can matter. So word choice can matter, just as word order can. Uh, but it doesn't always, it's not always definitive either. And so I think there's too much made of that. And if submission doesn't mean in a sense, uh, you know, some form of obedience, I'm not sure what it means at all. Um, it just, it makes absolutely no sense. But if, you know, of course there's no, we still, I guess, do this all the time where we hollow out concepts and words and give them new function and meaning. I mean, you still have ostensibly, you still have CEOs running companies, but it turns out today they don't actually really run anything. Right, but they're still the chief executive officer. Um, but it's been hollowed out. Uh, you know, we have a, a president currently. It turns out he doesn't really run, you know, the government at all. Um, so it's you know these things. I guess I guess it sh- we should as- kind of take it as a- expected uh, that people will will do this. But um, I think it it behooves of us if we're working with scripture to uh, to not do that and hollow out the the concepts, even in the English concept. Well, yeah, I mean, because it, it totally undermines the the husband's uh, position, right? Mm-hmm. Is is to he is he's not commanded to be the head; he is the head, which means he holds authority. And um, I mean, it's the it's the wife who's commanded to submit, mm-hmm. right? Because that's I mean, that's submission to to anybody is not you know that's not always easy. And so, um, you know, and I think Paul understands wives are going to struggle in this area, and husbands. Uh, are going to struggle to maybe be gentle or loving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why he, he emphasizes those commands. Husbands, love your wives. You know, first Peter three is, um, you know, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way as, as the weaker, uh, because she's the weaker vessel. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I think, it, yeah, yeah. I, I just think, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say there's so, there's so much discomfort, I think with this language b- today, because just because of the, the culture, mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just firmly of the belief as Christians, we, we just need to be able to affirm these things at face value. And, you know, we, we should have, uh, proper understanding. I think it's good to always qualify things and explain, look, this is not an abusive authority as, you know, some charge. The Bible's not teaching, um, tyranny, but it's teaching, you know, male headship for, for the good of the family. It's, it's for, it's the best for everybody. It's God's design. And, um, you know, so I, I just think we, yeah, there, there's just, people just have a reaction sometimes to these things. And so that's why I think, you know, Piercy's like qualifying things, but she's qualifying it in a incorrect mm-hmm. manner. <laughs> she's, she's undermined the very meaning of the words rather than showing, Oh well, yeah. This doesn't mean you know he rules as a tyrant. Um, it's a it's a loving rule. Okay. Well, we could. Wh- why doesn't she say that? Why mm-hmm. is it? Why is it? Oh well, it doesn't. It doesn't mean rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's basically what she says. But let me point out one irony here, because she does say. Um, I thought this was. Um, if I can find it, she she ironically says that. Um, Oh, the wife is to rule. Hmm. So she, she, you know, I like to use the word rule because it, uh, it really like 
you know, I don't, you can't deny it. It's, it's this idea of exercising authority. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but she says, so she, she doesn't think the husband should rule essentially, but then she comes back and says, uh, based on first Timothy five fourteen, that, um, she says she affirms the wife's quote rule and, and um, regarding the wife being the manager of, of her home. And then she, she goes so far as to say that the wife is a quote ruler or master. Hmm. That's an offensive word. Well, I, 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 yeah. I mean, <laughs> I agree with her, mm-hmm. but the question is why can't she use that same language for the husband o- over the household? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think so, the, you know, one, uh, like you were saying earlier, you know, why can't you just say, um, tyranny is bad, but rule itself is not, uh, you know, synonymous with tyranny. I mean, going back to the Matthew Henry kind of uh, analogy that that's elsewhere, you know, I think he has the thing of like the, uh, you know, the wife's made from the rib because she's supposed to be by his side, but she's not made from the heel for him to like grind underfoot. You know, so the, the concept is not tyranny, but it is uh, she's also not made from the head because she's not supposed to lead. I think that's how he, f- he fleshes the, all that out. Um, so it's yeah, like, why can't you, um, why is it, why is that problematic? Why can't you just uh, qualify uh, as, as I think scripture does? Um, you, you're not to be a tyrant, but to, you are to rule, uh, which would be the case with, you know, any kind of authority, uh, which means you're supposed to do it well and for, for their good and so on and so forth. I and mean, that's That raises the question again, Timon, of the changed social and political conditions. Um, We are conditioned by democracy to think that any form of rule that's not uh, Mm -hmm. consensus based Mm -hmm. is tyrannical, you know, whereas the classical classical position would be that, you know, all the different regime types can be for the common good Mm -hmm. or they can be tyrannies. Yeah. And but (laughs) but even in this case, we do have consent in that the white. You know, at least in our culture, wives are consenting consenting to marriage, and even in arranged marriage societies, it's usually with the permission of the 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 child, the the daughter. You know, so the 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 daughter's agreeing to the arranged marriage from her parents. So, I mean, that's the whole thing. You're consenting in marriage as a wife. You're consenting to obey your husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is a consent. You agreed up front. Um, it's part of the terms of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. What, I, I wonder what she would do or, or others, you know, I'm not trying to pick on, pick on her book too much, but the, um, you know, with those sorts of arrangements, which, which obviously still go on in, in other cultures. Um, so the, the fundamental, the genesis of the marriage is not rooted in consent as, as would be preferred here. Um, so then how, how is it possible you know, that then the operations within the marriage that's not rooted in consent all of a sudden take on a total popular consent basis. It's just it seems like a strange conclusion, but, uh, and, and also probably, I mean, Josh, you brought this up with change social and political conditions where we see just no other, this is an idea I've batted around, but no other, uh, analogous models of what scripture tells us the household is to be like. Whereas previously in history, it would be very natural to analogize between the family and and governance, between the you know the king and the people, and these things. And of course, you find this in in Aristotle even of of how societies and the cities spring up. Um, and it now seems like you can't um, those analogies no longer hold because they have to kind of work in the reverse also. And so, if you have an entirely libertine egalitarian sort of assumption in your in your politics. Um, with with at least ostensibly no no one clearly at the top, um, then it trickles back down the other way into the domestic setting because they're no longer mutually reinforcing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we you know we don't have like our imagination about benevolent authoritative rule is significantly mm-hmm. impoverished. Um, I think in late liberal mm-hmm. democracy, um, that that's that's sort mm-hmm. of the point. I think. Um, it's which makes it harder for I think for us to, you know, read parts of scripture that uh, you know have ideas of kingship uh, that is they don't hit us as modern readers in the way that they mm-hmm. probably should, uh, it, you know. So yeah, I mean it's it's it, it's not again it's not to it, it's not to say that the the task of like um, 
reconceiving of gender roles and living them out today is hopeless. But I think it is to say, with very clear eyes, we have to re- we have to take into account that that Christian practice is also solving for the fact that we are, um, in a very broad sense, having to act counterculturally. And that means, you know, the, the institutions of civic society, right, and, and all of these things are not going to be, like, helpful mm-hmm. in, <laughs> in um, building these, like, particularly gendered virtues. They're going to be working against us. And I think that suggests even for the, the church and for Christian institutions, like what, you know, um, maybe a broader scope of action, again, buttressing, uh, buttressing like proper views of nature uh, in a way that maybe in the past uh, churches didn't mm-hmm. need to do. Well, gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, that's, ahead, sorry. Oh, I, I was just f- final thought, I guess that is, I, I think, you know, this isn't just limited to male headship. I, I think, you know, really we're, we're just dealing with hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, hierarchical structures. Can we affirm the, the, the biblical teaching of hierarchy in a variety of, um, you know, settings and, um, and, and the family is just, just one of those. And so I, yeah, I think that this is why egalitarianism is, is such a problem as it really runs up, uh, against, you know, the entire teaching of scripture, including God at the top, right? He is, he's our authority. We have to submit to him. And that means we also mm-hmm. submit to the authorities he's placed over us. And we all have authorities over mm-hmm. us. So it's not just the wife. I, I, I just like to make that point is like, you know, you have elders to submit to. We have civil government. Um, you know, this is just the bit. The, and yeah, it's countercultural, but this is this is the way of Christ. Yep. Well, Zachary, thanks so much for, for coming on. We're coming up on time here to, to talk about this excellent review of Piercy's book. Um, everyone should go check it out if they haven't yet at American Reformer. It's called The Leaven of Egalitarianism. And also go grab um, Zachary's book, Masculine Christianity. Um, we were going to get into the uh, you know the, the funny fact that I think today came out that um, maybe a couple days ago that uh, the first woman is leading the Evangelical Theological Society, but I think that speaks for itself, and uh, we'll leave it for another discussion. Um, her name is, in fact, Karen also, so it's, I, I couldn't leave that unsaid. Um, Zachary, thanks so much for coming on. Josh, any parting thoughts? No, thank you, Zachary. Um, we, we appreciate your time. Um, thank you for the good work that you're doing, and uh, we hope to speak again soon. Thank you, guys. I, I enjoyed having a conversation here. Great. All right. Thank you to the audience. And until next time, God bless. You can find American Reformer on the Internet at www.americanreformer.org or on X.com, formerly Twitter, at AM Reformer. Don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Please consider supporting us today by making a tax-deductible donation through our secure online donation portal at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org.